We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now on to my guest for today, Katie Stoddart, business and performance coach. As a student, Katie showed promise in math and physics, so going into engineering seemed like the right choice. But while she liked the work, Katie felt it wasn't quite the right fit for her and she needed to be working more with people. After some searching, she landed on coaching and knew right away it was for her. As an all-or-nothing type of person, Katie gave up her job four months into coach training to launch her own coaching business. Katie works with solopreneurs and entrepreneurs committed to growing their business and looking to increase their productivity as well as find more balance in their lives. Coaching gives her the opportunity to apply what she knows about analysis and discipline while also allowing her to be creative and work with people, elements she missed as a scientist. Like many entrepreneurs, Katie has coped with moments of low self-confidence, and she shares some strategies for how to keep going despite what the voices in your head might be saying. Now, let's get better together. Katie Stoddart, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jerry, for having me. Yes. Well, you are another awesome guest I got from matchmaker.fm and you also have a podcast and we were talking a little bit before we started recording that you've also interviewed Brendan and Phil. So shout out to Brendan and Phil and also shout out to, you know, matchmaker.fm for all the great guests they give us. And again, they don't even pay us to say that. So that must mean it's cool. So Definitely, definitely, 100% on that. <laughs> um, and I want to talk about like your time as an like a, an engineer, you know, math, physics person, because I totally dig that, as well as what you're doing at the Focus Bee. But like I always like to say, before we get into that, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got to do what you're doing today? 
Yes, it's a great question and a great place to start. It did begin with mathematics and physics. It feels like a long time ago. We can go more into that afterwards if you want. And then I was working as an engineer at sea. I did that for several years and I felt sort of unfulfilled and as if I wasn't really doing what was meant for me. I know that might sound weird, but aligned with who I was as a person. It was very data-driven and I'm very people-driven. And after a while, I just realized I really wanted to work with people. I didn't know what. <laughs> and I looked in all sorts of directions. It included psychology and nutritionists and naturopath and lots of very different things. And I discovered coaching, felt head over heels in love with it and quit my job four months into my training of coaching. I hadn't even finished my training and I quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like, let's just jump in with both feet, huh? Yes. It also <laughs> fits my type of personality. I'm a sort of all in or nothing sort of person. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. We were talking a little bit about how you're more extroverted and how I'm more introverted. And what my, my therapist says is I'm a highly functional introvert, which means that there are times where I'm like super engaged with things in the world, but then in order for me to recharge, I need to be alone. Whereas the extrovert like you, you like, you need people to recharge, which it just boggles my mind, honestly, because <laughs> that stuff exhausts me uh, to no end. I mean, and, and, you know, one of the reasons I started doing this podcast was to literally practice talking to people, practice listening, practice that interaction, because that's one of the things that I'm, that I struggle with sometimes. But What's what's interesting about your background is like, you know, started off highly technical, but not very like, oh, the data driven stuff. Eh, don't <laughs> don't like that because mo most people self-select into engineering and science because they love data and they just want to sit with data. But you um, you had this higher calling, this sort of. Um, I don't know, desire, this fire to help people and, and, and like interact with more people. So how. It, how did that come about? Were, were you just always this way or was there something in your past like that sort of accelerated you towards this sort of stuff? I was always people driven. I was always uh, sociable and extroverted, but I did like mathematics and physics. And because in France, I, I grew up and I'm French-British, so I spent most of my life in France. And in France, when you're really good at science, they push you down the science route. It's very well seen, very well promoted. I also love philosophy and I love languages, but there was no way people were or teachers were going to encourage me to actually study this more intensely. So I was doing well in maths and I studied it. And I loved maths and physics, more mathematics and physics and the theoretical aspect but it was more when it went into engineering and it was applying it and it was softwares and technical and repetitive after a while. It was fun, to be honest. I was mapping the seafloor, so they are worse jobs. Uh, and it was fun. And I traveled and I was on boats and it was exciting. But it still didn't feel like my zone of genius. I think that's the way to put it. I like the math. I like the training. I like learning. But after a while, I felt this is what isn't where I can excel. I love psychology. I love understanding people. I love helping people. And when I found coaching, it literally felt like a match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is interesting because a lot of folks that kind of go towards the more technical stuff, like I said, like me, I went engineering because I just loved like building things. So for me, it's like, oh, let's build stuff, which is super cool. Um, but typically they don't also have the like, oh, I want to be around people and I want to interact. So I'm fascinated that like you love, love math and physics, more on the math, more on the philosophy. I mean, it seems like it's more like the philosophy of math and like the beauty of how it can, because math is a philosophy. I mean, if you really get down to the root of it, of course, there's a lot of equations and proofs and stuff, but really like a lot of mathematicians actually started off as sort of like philosophy kind of thought experiments. Cause a lot of this stuff you can't prove. I mean, Einstein in the physics side, classic example, he couldn't run an experiment on relativity. He just couldn't do it. There, there was like no way. So 
he had to get, go inside his mind and do these thought experiments, which is a really powerful tool. And so I'm, I'm curious if you like adapted some of the physics and mathematical training to now what you do at focus beyond the coaching and, you know, trying to develop more people, because at least what I've found is that even though the personal touch and the whole woo woo and, you know, free to be you and me, man, <laughs> um, people also want like a framework. They want like something to hang that, hang it, hang it on for lack of a better word. So I'm curious if any of it kind of crossed over. I love what you said about the mathematics and the philosophy sort of being tied together. And I think that is what I liked most about mathematics. It was a sort of philosophical approach, the theorem, the equations. And as soon as it became more practical and more engineering, I liked it, but it wasn't the same. And yes, great points about how I apply it. And I think I do quite a bit, actually. I think I apply it both in the way I work. So I'm rigorous and very organized and structured. And I think that isn't something I'm natural at. I think I'm extremely creative and sort of chaotic a bit by nature. But through my engineering, through working on a boat and having to share a cabin with someone and being all organized and tidy, I think I learned that and I applied that to my business. So I'm very organized in the way I work, which helps because I coach a lot of people on productivity. And I also applied in the way I coach. I think I have a highly analytical brain that I've developed capacity. I don't think it was if it was always there. And I think I use this when I coach people. So I it's hard to explain really, but I will keep track of everything they say and put it in different boxes in my head. And then through these boxes, I sort of tie them together. And it's a bit like solving an equation and it uh, helps to, you know, generate great results and see past and progress. So I think I do do it in the way I coach. It's a mixture probably of creativity and structure. Yeah. And no wonder I love it really. <laughs> creativity, structure, people, helping. I mean, what's not to love? <laughs> Yeah, it's like this huge alchemy of it all, you know, because because for me, I love the practical side of engineering, mathematics and physics. I mean, there's nothing I love more than to just grind out some sort of solution to something that's practical. Like I, I was really bad at the theoretical stuff. I mean, I had to take atomic physics, which is basically was the, the foundation of what I was what I did for a living before I did this, which was semiconductor physics and semiconductor engineering. I had to take it twice <laughs> because it's like. Ah, uh, really? Like, so we have an electron floating around a what, you know, I couldn't, the, the, I couldn't get like the mind, my mind to run the experiment because a lot of, you know, atomic physics, semiconductor physics is all about these weird states like, oh, the electrons here and then it's here. And you're like, how do you get there? Oh, just magic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. And you're kind of like, yes, oh, and so I, I, I was drawn to the practical side of things. And, and what, what I, what I'm glad you brought up was that, uh, like what you're doing now feels like a, a proof or a mathematical formula or just like the elegance of it all. Cause there's some just like, it's hard to appreciate the real elegance of theoretical physics and mathematics. If you haven't tried, have you even looked at it? Cause it, it's hard to comprehend, like, Richard Feynman, the great physicist, when he wrote, I think it was five easy pieces. When he wrote that book, like finally someone could explain it to your grandma, right? Like, oh, oh this is theoretical fit. Oh, this is pretty cool because it connects all of us together. I mean, some of the stuff that people were working on 30, 40 years ago, especially in artificial intelligence and you know, machine learning and all those mathematics, you know, like neural networks and you know, all these crazy mathematical stuff that they kind of proved 30, 40 years ago. That's how Alexa works. You know, that's how all of these things that we now practically use. The basis for them are these mathematical things that, I mean, they're, it's beauty. I mean, it is, it is really beauty. So it, as you've kind of learned, like made the transition, <laughs> it sounds weird, <laughs> but as you've gone from the physics and engineering side to this coaching side with the focus B um, has that really, how have you, how have people kind of been receptive to that sort of very analytical, very like process driven? Cause I, I actually um, talked with Nir Bashan uh, the other day. He's a creativity expert guy. Um, and, and it was really cool because he's like, well, I use creativity to solve problems. 
And I'm like, oh, cool. Okay. And he's like, yeah. And a lot of people don't, they get too analytical and then they get down the rabbit hole and they're like, well, the numbers say this. He's like, yeah, but the numbers sometimes lie. And you're like, once you know, like what you and I know about all this, you're like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like you could make anything up you want. Like you see numbers, I see numbers. They could be in anything. So how, how do you, how do you kind of go? Because I'm just so fascinated how you can take that knowledge and then like apply it to coaching. How, how has that been with the people that you help? Uh, really great, actually, and it's a great way of putting it, and I loved your question. And also really funny, you saying that you were really down the practical route and I'm really down the theoretical route, so it's like we like the two different sides of the same coin. Um, to answer your question, I, I think people like it, mostly because people like frameworks, like you said, they like something that's tangible, and I'm not so analytical that I drop the creativity side or the empathetic side and compassion. I feel that it's always tied together. I mean, hence the fact that I quit engineering. If I was only fully analytical, I would have been fully satisfied in that role. So I think it just adds extra structure to the way we work together. It makes things clear. It means that we have clear objectives. But I also have a bit of flow and creativity. I try and sort of combine both. And then, of course, it depends on the client. So some people really like things to be structured, objective-driven, and other people are more sort of flowy and creativity. So I think I also adapt my coaching to the people I coach, which I think makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in, the, in the world of writing, since I write books, we've got the planners and the pantsers. <laughs> I'm a planner, duh, <laughs> because I like plan everything out. But then there's the pantsers. It's just the seat. It's like the seat of our pants. We're just going to write and see how the, the muse pulls us through the world, you know, and I just can't do that because that would drive me crazy. But a lot of people, again, I think what you're saying is, which I agree with, is you have to meet people where they are. Some people exactly. are going to have a different learning style, right? Um, so what, what are some of your kind of ideal clients? Like, do you have, do you, do you focus on like a certain type of people or is it pretty much anyone can benefit from the focus B? Yes. Great point. Also, I do have, uh, ideal clients and I think they almost always have their own business, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, but it's more and they tend to be service-based uh, entrepreneurs, not always, but generally. And it's more about their attitude and personality. So they are very often hyper achievers because I also am, so I can help them manage that and find balance. And they are fun to work with. You know, you have, you have to have the fun. So you have to be fun and driven and very committed, I think, is something that that's important for me anyway in a client. I want someone that shows up on time. I want someone that, you know, does what needs to be done between the coaching because that's just makes sense for them and for me. So it's a mixture really of a, a certain type of personality. I mean, I could continue with adjectives, but mostly this comes from, you know, you have a half an hour call, you know, if it's a good match or not, you feel it. And then, yes, in general, their job tends to be a solopreneur, service-based entrepreneur. That tends to be the sort of people I work with. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. My, uh, my friend, Mark McGinnis, who for a while was my creative coach. He's a coach for creatives. He, he does a 21st century creative podcast, and he's got, I don't know, I think it's now half a dozen books on creativity. And it was funny because I met him over 10 years ago, um, through we, we shared, well, he was with this thing called lateral action, which was Brian Clark. Brian Clark is copy blogger fame. He's like the guru of copy, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> now he's doing, yeah, now he's doing this thing called the unemployable initiative, which I think is now seven figures small. Anyway, there's a whole mess They they evolve. Right. But to your point about the ideal client, what was interesting is that you know he he started to kind of evolve who who we would work with and it and and your the the thing you said about commitment that is like this huge differentiator because i don't know if you can kind of see that in a half an hour call i mean maybe you're more attuned to it than i am but i know when i deal with the clients i deal with in my pr marketing and communications firm i can tell like oh Oh, you're going to really heavily rely on me to drive the narrative or, oh no, you're going to like, you're going to not pull it out of me, but like, I'm here for you 
you know, and so what are some of the, what are some of the signs or the hints of like commitment? How can you, how can you figure that out in half an hour? You're asking me to reveal my magic. I just <laughs> Well, you can reveal as much magic as you want. I actually interviewed a magician, which was really cool. Uh, that uh, is cool. Dan, Dan Chan, the billionaire's magician, but he didn't reveal any secrets. So whatever you're comfortable with, you can reveal what you want. It's fine. It's fine. I think, how do you tell if they're really committed? There's several things. First of all, obviously, you ask them what it is they want to achieve, why they want to do it. And already there, they actually reveal quite a lot. They reveal how much there is to gain. And also, the typical question is, okay, if you don't achieve this goal, you know, how would you feel? And if if they say, well, no, that would be devastating. I must achieve this. It means so much to me. But it gives you an idea. But if they say, well, to be honest, I guess kind of want to do this but already you you sense the the why and the purpose and the commitment behind that it's just general level of motivation it would be the same as if I asked you you know if if you're going to exercise with a friend of yours and you ask him if he wants to join or you're going to tell if he's committed or not you can tell the level of motivation the body language the words they use the there's so many signals and you can tell in half an hour, of course, you know, you can't be a hundred percent sure, but pretty close. And then, and then there's, there are ways to check up on commitment as you work together. So if for whatever reason, the person shows up systematically late or skips sessions or this type of thing, you can say, look, if this isn't working for you, you won't achieve results. We can quit now. To be honest, this hasn't happened to me. I think it only happened right at the very, very beginning when I was doing training for coaching and therefore I was coaching for free and I had one or two clients like that that would either skip or be a bit late. But since then that hasn't happened. So yeah. Hmm. So you so you don't do any like free coaching other than the 30 minute kind of introductory session or what was because it's I find that that's actually a really good that's a very good point about commitment. If someone's going to pay you to show up and they don't show up, well, hmm. you know, anyone can sign up for free, right? And they either show up or not show up. So I've found that that's an interesting kind of uh, approach. It was actually a kind of friend of mine, Tim Grawl, who, who, who taught me this really cool kind of thing. And, and I wanted to get your take on it. He, he's like, there's only two prices, free or full price. <laughs> and and I'm like I never got this right. I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, look, you got to gauge commitment, right? And both that's both sides. So if you're if you have a fair price, then they should pay the fair price. If you want, if if you're just interested in doing it and the expectations are set properly, and it's something you can do, and you want to do it for free, do it for free. But don't like negotiate like you know, don't split the difference as one of these very famous negotiation books, because you're just going to feel bad about it. And I, I'm like, I never thought about that until he said it. So what, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think that follows into maybe commitment or like, I'm not like, what do you think? I think the price does have a huge impact on commitment. And I think it it is worth, uh, you know, charging whatever it is people are charging for their services, except when they're training and then doing it for free. In terms of splitting the difference or sort of meeting somewhere in the middle, I really think that depends on the person and their service and products. I'm not too extreme on that's a must, but in general, I do feel that it's important to be clear in your mind's eye what it's worth and to stick to it because it's also, like you said, commitment is a two-way process. So if the person delivering the service feels they've been undercharged or they're undercharging, then they might not actually commit and they might not do as good a job with that client as with one that's paying full price. And that's not really fair on that first client. So that's a good point. It's a way of looking at it. Yeah, I sort of agree with it. Okay. Yeah, because when I know when he when he told me that he, he was in a different stage of his career, <laughs> I think he could he could actually afford to do that, right? And and I I think well, the, why I bring this up is because entrepreneurs have this problem all the time, and 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 this is not just a coaching business problem; it's just a fundamental free or full price. Like, how do I charge for what I have to get either engagement? You know, I've talked to my friend Sam, 
he's just like, well, engagement's everything. Just go raise money to get engagement. Don't worry about the money. It'll come. And I'm like, uh, well, okay. That's your opinion. I, I don't feel that way. He, he's trying, he's slowly trying to convince me of this, but I'm skeptical. Right. But then there's also, you know, too much and like how, you know, the dance of that. And, and, and this is a very important thing I think for, for everyone to, to, to realize is that, um, you should get paid what you're worth and you should agree on that. And honestly, you should have enough confidence in that to say, I'm worth this. Um, if that's not for you, then that's not for you. Um, how, how has that been when, you know, that discussion comes up with some of these clients? Great point. And it is something I struggled with at the beginning and I would reduce my pricing. I remember once just, you know, <laughs> cutting it in half and, it doesn't serve us any good as entrepreneurs. And it, like I said, it doesn't necessarily serve the clients any good uh, because some cases, some people might reduce the quality, but more than anything else, it is about us standing our ground and becoming better at the negotiation. So it is something I struggled with until I realized that a huge part, as we were saying earlier, about the commitment is them agreeing to that price. And if you diminish it or half it or reduce it, then you're diminishing their commitment. They don't have to actually stand up. And it's a great filter to see how committed they are, how much they'll show up. And as soon as I stopped doing that, I started having my best clients, the best people. So yes, there were a few people that I had to turn down or turn me down, but it also meant that the ones that did you know, fully commit were really fantastic clients and they get the best results. So you get the best testimonials. I mean, it's just a positive circle afterwards. So I wouldn't go back to doing that. So now I'm, I'm pretty fun <laughs> in terms of my, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so now you're like full Tim Grawl, like free full price. No, I mean, free. I do monthly installments and things like that, like yeah, yeah. working around, yeah, it, but I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. like cut it in half because the person says, I assume, okay, okay. Half price. <laughs> yeah. No. And, 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 and I, I, I know I'm harping on this, but I, I really want to like drive this point home. Cause this, this is especially important for freelancers entrepreneurs that are just starting out. Um, we actually saw this a lot. How I know Tim is through the story grid because I'm a certified story grid editor. And so they had the training program. I went through it and there's lots and lots of people that want to be certified editors. And it's, you know, it's like structural editing, like how to lay the book out based on the story grid methodology, N not lay it out physically, but like how it's the story flows. And a lot of people were starting out as their first business, like, oh, I'm going to freelance. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And actually through this process, you could tell, I mean, the reason why he brought this up was because there was this mentality of, I just need to get clients and I need to, I'm, I'm not comfortable with what I'm worth. And it sounds strange, but it's something I've struggled with a lot, to be honest. And I, what I found and, and I think it's what you found as well, is that you sort of have to learn this the hard way <laughs> because once you have a few bad experiences and bad clients, like I had some just horrible experiences with clients for my firm where I'm like, God, I'm never going to do this again. And it was just, it just drove home Tim's. And again, and every time I would do something that wasn't that free or full price thing, I'd regret it. So I'm like, well, Tim, you know, kudos to you for like drilling that in my head. Um, and so, so yeah, that that's, I'm glad that your experience has, has been that kind of reinforce it. But also if you are first, if you are starting out and if you are a little afraid, apprehensive, um, you know, f kind of find your own way, kind of make, I mean, I don't want you to make the same mistakes you and I made. That's not what that's about, but sometimes you got to learn that the hard way. Yes. There's one other point I wanted to say on this also that I forgot is that if you instantly diminish your price or cut it in half or give a reduction, you send off the message to the other person, A, that you don't have the confidence, but B, that you're not actually uh, worth that much. And so you you end up sending off this message that means that they start to lack a bit of respect for you somehow. There's somehow a respect is lost a bit and the value therefore, and therefore their commitment lowers. So you're really not giving a client a favor if you suddenly cut your price because they'll won't value your service as much and they won't respect you as much and therefore they'll be less committed. So the respect part and the value is also important, I feel. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think this, this definitely applies to services based businesses, you know, solopreneur, editor, coach, you know, like what I do, marketing, PR and stuff. Um, maybe a little different for like physical products or, maybe yes, you know, things that I always say when you're not selling your time for money and you're building products and services that sort of that's stand different. on their own, right. That's a little different because you're, you've essentially built it once and you're selling it multiple times. So then there's tactics for that. So yeah. that's not what we're talking about. So don't, don't like get all aggro. When yeah, you're you're like, right. Oh, that's what about, different. yeah. What that's about squeeze different. pages and deals? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that that's fine. But we're not talking about that. <laughs> we're talking about yeah, when you point. sell you. Yeah. When you sell your time for money as a consultant, it's either free or full price. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and so how, how, um, how do you feel about all of that? There, there is actually a, I've seen this a lot. There's like a lot of coaches out there for various things. Um, there's a lot of mastermind groups. There's a lot of like digital product programs and training and stuff. Have, have, have you done any of those and kind of what's your kind of take on the landscape of that? Yes, I have. I'm actually still part of one called Thought Leadership Academy. That's brilliant. It taught me everything about sales and marketing and branding that I had left to learn pretty much, or that's how I feel for myself in my field. Obviously, these were all things I had to learn at my own you know, cost after I quit engineering. I had no knowledge at all about the marketing space or PR or social media or branding. So I learned coaching, quit my engineering job, started my business. And then I thought, oh, there'll be other business type things. This is literally how I named them in my mind. Some business type stuff I'll have to do. And I realized, oh, actually there's marketing and lead generation and social media and branding and sales and, you know, invoicing. Oh, there's quite a lot. So I, I extra learned or improved all my skills with them. Uh, I think it's brilliant. I know the the there's a big pool of choices out there, so it could make it tricky for people to know what to choose. I think you have to, you know, follow your intuition and go on a few calls and check places out and do one month's trials and stuff like this. But I think there's different things suited to different people. I also never feel that the market is oversaturated. I know that sounds weird, but I always feel that each coach has, you know, clients that are best suited for them and vice versa. So it's a bit, I don't know. I don't feel there can be too many out there. That's just my feeling because everyone will resonate with different people. If I'm in a room with 10 other coaches and we do a workshop with a hundred people out of the hundred people, everyone will fit with, you know, one coach more than the other. So I never feel that the coaches are my competitors on the other hand I actually way prefer to look at it as collaborations I've done loads of collaborations with you know great coaches I want to do like shout outs for like Gaby Davis and to Stoyan Yanko and to so many others that come into my mind uh to Leisure with who I did a podcast to begin with a few years ago um yeah so I like to look at them in collaborations because generally we have a similar mindset a similar way of working a lot of you know, they tend to have, you know, great emotional intelligence and, you know, they're just great people to work with. The coaches I know anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I bring that up because I get a lot of inbound from matchmaker.fm from coaches. <laughs> and um, I don't know if I'm shocked by that or not. Um, it's funny because uh, a lot of like hardware and software entrepreneurs, which is what I focus on from my, my firm, they don't do a lot of out, they, like they're not out there. And and what I find interesting about the coaching mentality is that, um, which every entrepreneur needs to learn, by the way, like they are really good at self-promotion, really good at like, I am going to take the time to promote what I do. A lot of other entrepreneurs don't really do that. And I mean, I'm guilty of this too, like guilty as charged. Like I, I, I don't like doing it because it feels weird and yucky and like, who am I, you know, like the imposter syndrome stuff, but all these coaches that pitch me and pitch from my blog or whatever, <laughs> they don't have a problem. <laughs> They're like, Hey, I want to talk about blah, blah. I'm like, Oh, you know, I have to, I, unfortunately I have to like, I can't take them all because I'm trying to focus more on, you know, other type. I want a nice mix of entrepreneurs, but what I find fascinating about that. And again, what other entrepreneurs can learn is that self-promotion piece, albeit scary, albeit uh, maybe feels a little yucky. Like that's the only word I can think of it. Um, 
is important. And, and, and you brought up this one of thought leadership stuff and everything. So how do you go about like, what's your mentality on self-promotion and like the mix between talking about what you do, helping people? Like, how do you, how do you kind of reconcile that? I'm loving all of your questions, by the way. I'm taking mental notes to have similar ones when I have my podcast because the other day I would think I really need to jazz up the questions I ask on my podcast. So I'm thinking, okay, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, and great point. And I think uh, all the coaches out there and consultants definitely have gone through confidence issues, imposter syndrome, myself included. I think everyone goes through this. Literally everyone on earth, I believe, at one point or another, in one area of their life, in one shape or form, they've had confidence issues, imposter syndrome, you name it. And I think the way I have gone about it anyway, because yes, how I deal with it, uh, two things principally. One of them is to focus on, I'm doing all of this so I can help more people. So it's not just about I'm brilliant, la la la. It's about, okay, if I go on this podcast, if I go on to be a speaker at an event, it's primarily because I want the people in the audience to benefit from this. So I, I do this as a speaker. If I'm on stage, I do this in a podcast. I do this when I host my podcast. I just focus on them. As soon as you take off the light from yourself, you don't get that feeling anymore. That's the ego feeling, the yucky feeling, because it's the feeling of inadequacy and feeling you're not good enough and the worry. And that all comes at the stage, right? All of this comes from when we focus on ourselves. You know, am I speaking well enough? How do I look? Blah, blah, blah. All of that. That's rubbish. So when you focus on the other person or, or the other audience, do the same when I coach. Focus on them and not how am I coaching? Am I doing a good job? No. Um, that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is, uh, oh, yes, the other thing is I generally find a lot of events, podcasts, all the, these things quite fun. So that just makes me more energized to do it. I'm like, oh, I'd really like get on there. It'd be great to meet Jerry. It would be great to be at this event and network. So, But that's because I'm highly extroverted. So in one case, I focus on the audience and helping and the other on the fun. And this also works actually with content creation because I quite like creating content. This is also something probably because I'm quite creative. So I feel um, even though sometimes that content creation has to be a bit, look at my brilliant testimonial or, you know, if you're interested and want to find out more, get on a call, it does feel a bit awkward. But I think then it's just a habit. It's a mindset shift. And after a while, the first time it's a bit weird, then you just get used to it. And then you think, well, if it helps people to be more proactive and reach out to me, then it's fine. Yeah. No, I've, I've had the same feeling and it's just so bizarre. I, I, well, I think it's normal when you like have a good relationship with like, oh, I may not know everything. If you're like an egomaniac, like sociopath, psychopath, then you don't have this problem. That's like maybe 1% of the people, right? But, <laughs> but the rest of us that are like, quote unquote, normal um, have this problem. And what's, and you know, what's funny because I, I released the audio version of, of the book that this podcast is based on the entrepreneur ethos podcast. And what I started to do to train myself on this, which is hard. Every time I say it is at the beginning of all of my like podcasts, I talk about, Hey, I released the book, whatever. And I do that every time it's not pre-recorded when I do the show, like intro it says it right there. Like I have to say it every single time and every single time it makes me nervous. Cause I'm like, is anyone going to buy it? Is anyone, you know what I mean? Like it, but, <laughs> but yeah. Right. But what's so fascinating now is that through repetition, right? Like, okay, I'm the same thing as you, right? I wrote this book. I do this podcast. Because I really want to help people. Like I think entrepreneurships can solve so many problems in the world, and every single person on the planet needs access to it. It doesn't matter what you look like. I don't care where you're from. It is the one job in the world anyone can do anywhere on the planet because everyone needs a product or service or something for their community, right? Everyone. Just note, like no one can convince me otherwise. So, but. <laughs> but the kind of imposter syndrome of being like, I wrote the entrepreneur ethos book. I know what I'm doing is <laughs> like, who the hell are you? Right. But this is what I found like you, right. When, when, when we've gone through something, when, when we have like knowledge, when we've, you know, battled the demons and the dragons and came back with the gold, right. It's important that we share and, and, 
if we share in a place of service in a place of like, Hey, this is what I learned. And the ego, you know, can have a little, you got it. Like you got it. No one is going to be the bigger cheerleader than, you know, yourself. Right. But like, if you balance that, then yeah, like I, like with you, my mindset just shifted and I'm like, Oh, I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for others. And even though I make it benefit from it, right. First and foremost, I need to make sure that I put this out there so that others can benefit from what I've learned. And then this is the same thing, you know, if you've listened to the podcast, when I you know, lost my wife, Jane, it was a horrible, horrible thing to go through that I have just struggled with. And over time, I've, you know, it's just my experience, but I know other men, especially men who, who are struggling with this too. And, and if, 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 if me talking about it makes someone not feel as lonely or like seek help or like want to just that little incremental 1% better, it's worth it. And, and that's a really powerful thing. I wish more people would do that. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs in the community, if they're hardware and software entrepreneurs, if they're like, you know, venture backed, they tend to be too busy. <laughs> like a lot of them won't spend an hour talking to me, which is like, why not? <laughs> like, what do you got to lose? You know, well, and I, I, I know, I know why being too busy is just an excuse for not focusing on what matters. And even though you may have this massive venture back company, which is accelerating and you're doing double digits and the world is your oyster, you have to realize that you do need to focus on certain things. And part of your contribution to a, a community, no matter what community you're in, you're, I think personally, you need to give back. You need to talk about it. You need to do interviews. You need to share the knowledge, share the wealth. And you got to bring the next generation with you because that's how it is. So I, I wonder if you have, like, if you have those thoughts, like, oh, I'm doing this. I, of course, get benefit from it, but hopefully that next generation is also, you know, not making the same mistakes we made. <laughs> I don't know if it helps them to prevent, make those mistakes. I'm not sure about that. I just hope that it gives them some sort of insights. I think it. Every time I get feedback that this post helped or this episode or whatever, it somehow it's strange because I do it for that purpose and yet it always comes as a surprise. Every single time, every single message, every single comment, every single email comes to me and says, oh, that helped. Oh, someone listened literally <laughs> or someone read this post. Even though I see the amount of views, I don't feel that people, I don't know. I think it's probably a mindset thing or or maybe just, I'm so used to creating all of this content. I know why I'm doing it, but sometimes we don't get as much feedback and we forget that it actually is helping. And then every time I get one message, I think, oh yes, this is why I'm doing it. This matters, this makes a difference. And, uh, and then it just reinforces me. Also, I was going to mention when you talked about the imposter syndrome, that when you have that feeling that of inadequacy or whatever, what really helped me is I started doing something that I called sugar cubes, which is basically uh, keeping track of all those messages. So I actually have a folder and uh, actually it's in my OneNote, it's a page. And I just wrote, copied and pasted uh, feedback from clients, a comment on my uh, LinkedIn uh, after an interview, just even a one, one sentence that someone said that was nice. And then it just got longer and longer and longer and longer. And I just felt if I have this feeling again, and it happens from time to time, every couple of months or so, then I just scroll through it. And it reminds my brain that I am making a difference. I am helping. I am serving. It is working or people are benefiting from the coaching because I think everyone has doubts from time to time as to whether they're good enough or if it's working or if there's any point or all these types of questions. So keeping track of written proof has really helped to dilute that voice. And if you catch it early on and you read it, it's just sort of, it's like your brain is facing the evidence and you just have to accept it. Like, look, person A, B, C, D, they've said these amazing things. Just don't deny it. And then you just have to, okay, and then move on with your day. <laughs> I am 
I'm going to steal that full <laughs> outright sugar cubes. I'm going to, every client I talk to, I'm now going to use that. That's, that's a great, that's a great term because you're right. I mean, I think, I think a lot of times, so I, I did, there was some research that suggested that we're like, humans are optimistic more so than not. I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, you're bite, you got to be some sort of optimist because this is the hardest job in the world. Really like success factor is really low. Um, and we also tend to like focus on negativity, right? Because as the story of our evolution, we needed to understand there's the saber tooth tiger. Don't eat that berry that those people over there will kill you. Um, and so of course, as we evolved and you know, you and I are proof of that, our ancestors told better stories. We survived. Now we're here talking on a podcast, but sugar cubes, that's an awesome, that's <laughs> such an awesome thing. I love that. I, I, I how did you, did you, was it just, no, I learned it in my, I didn't come up with it. I learned it in my, in my group coaching that I'm part of and the, and the uh, tutor trainer there called Daria, she read it in a book, I think, or she heard it somewhere. And so as we were going through imposter and she does it too. And I just thought, right, I'm doing this. And I've done it now for six months or so. Uh, I haven't had too many imposter syndrome crises. I mean, I had one in August before I started uh, doing this. And since then, not so much. And if I do, I just catch it early on, quickly scroll through it, think, ah, all is good. Stop saying crap. Let's move on. Do your job. <laughs> Change your mindset. And you just, yeah, it just puts you back on track. Have, have you read the book, um, Chop Wood, Carry Water? No. It, it's so interesting because it's a, like a Zen book. It, it's a retelling of an old, like, Japanese Zen Buddhist story. And um, nice. it, it's about doing the work and the mindset and remembering that you have to, you know, every day, like every day, this, you know, student had to chop wood, carry water to make tea. And when, um, when you started to kind of get full of yourself and, you know, oh, I'm better. I think it had something to do with, he was learning archery or something. And I get it all confused. Cause I get that in Zen of, you know, Zen of archery, <laughs> I get them all confused because they're all at the same theme. Right. But, um, what's interesting is the reverse of that. When you don't have that sort of self-confidence or when you're feeling particularly low, cause you did something wrong, you screwed up or, you know, like we all make mistakes, but it can sometimes be feel really hard. And I think you also need the opposite. So for me, the opposite of chop wood, carry water is show me your sugar cubes or, you know, <laughs> that's nice. It, I like that <laughs> because, because I think you have to have that balance. I mean, don't let the ego go nutty and like, Oh, I'm so great. Cause like, we're all flawed. I mean, we all have, we all, <laughs> we're all working through our thing and, you know, our journey in life, but the balance between like this idea of do the work, even if it's mundane and Hey, you know what? you're, you're valuable. And, 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 and as, as you kind of transcend and get older, like as you get to my age, which is almost 50, you start to realize that if you've done everything you can do now, what, and that now, what is how, you know, you sort of got to reflect on. And, and as you kind of get older, even as an entrepreneur, like, have I, is what I've done enough. And I think this whole idea of the sugar cubes and the chop wood carry water is sort of like this nice balance, right? Because a sugar cube's a little sweet, then it goes away. You don't want to eat too many or you'll get sick. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's nice <laughs> You don't you want to carry enough water, but not too much, or you get tired, you want to chop enough wood so you don't have to chop more wood. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. So so these groups that you, you know, clearly have been pretty influential. Um on your career path. And what you brought up the one that was called thought leadership. What was the name of it? Thought leadership Academy. That's right. Thought leadership Academy. Yes. Cool. So they basically get yeah, teaching all the sales, marketing, lead generation, all that sort of thing. And, and we sometimes go through some mindset things such as imposter syndrome. So that's just helped me loads. <laughs> I think everyone should be part of uh, either have a coach. I mean, this 
all coaches will say this, right? All coaches say <laughs> either you need to have a coach or be part of a group coaching. And it's yes. true. It's true. I don't care. I'm going to be like all the other ones and say exactly the same thing. I'm not being controversial. I think <laughs> everyone can benefit from working with a coach or being in a group coaching. I have a personal coach. I'm in a group coaching and I'd quite like to have a fitness trainer too. Now times are tricky, but I had one in the past and that was awesome. So yeah, and it's changed my life, literally discovering coaching and then working with coaches and for example this group coaching all these things have you know such an impact on my life I can't even yeah I wouldn't be able to put it in words so that's why I feel so strongly about it well I think that's a great place to end it then so uh Katie uh, you know it's been great getting to know you appreciate your time and uh good luck and stay safe thank you thank you so much Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.